Hello everyone, Chris here again with another glittery, sparkly, delicious episode of the Make It podcast. And this week we have producer and director Sabin Mayfield. As mentioned before, Sabin Mayfield is a producer and director known for the feature films Boomtown and Cashville. He also directed the breakout Julian Baker video for her hit single Sprained Ankle in 2015. He's currently attached as the director on the nostalgia-based rom-com The Weekenders, which stars Fabian Therese, Ted Welch, C. Thomas Howe, Jocelyn Donahue, Mike Vogel, and Jason Marsden, just to name a few, and also features music from Diarrhea Planet. Saban also founded Stay Fly LLC, a multimedia production company specializing in films, television, music videos, and commercials. He did so in 2012. Stay Fly began as an incubator for Saban's original ideas and has since become a sought-after firm specializing in production services from conception through completion for clients all around the world. Most recently, Saban has published various opinion pieces you can find on his website, stayfly.biz, so that's .biz. And uh, here's an excerpt of his latest article on the nature of the contemporary human condition. Quote, we are the most afflicted, diagnosed, medicated, disabled, mentally ill society that has ever been. While we have had more technological and medical advancement of any era or civilization before us, the convenience that provided has made us incapable of dealing with the world that we live in. End quote. Pretty powerful stuff. So again, if you want to read the rest of that particular piece and any other piece he has published, uh, again, the site is stayfly, so S-T-A-Y-F-L-Y dot biz, B-I-Z, and he will definitely appreciate you for that. So without further ado, I give you the man with the plan and the only guy I know that could sport a dude-approved man bun, director and producer, Sabin Mayfield. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. What's up, everybody? My name is Sabin Mayfield. I'm a director, originally from Nashville, but living in L.A. Um, you probably know me from Boomtown, which was released by The Orchard in September of 2017. And my follow-up feature, uh, Drop City, will begin shooting in January of 2019. And, uh, uh, yeah, you can check out some music videos, too, somewhere on the World Wide Web. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I loved your... Uh, video with Julian Baker for uh, Sprained Ankle. The Julian Baker one was a hit for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I loved that um, That here you are, you have one tiny little girl and uh, one set 
in one camera, it felt like at least. And you got to make that, yes. that place move. You got to make it interesting. And uh, I would tell anybody to go check out your work on that video if they want to see what you can do with a camera and, and how you can make something so singular so interesting. That was actually the most successful and impactful video I've ever done while working with the smallest crew and uh, on the smallest budget. Isn't that funny uh, how it happens like that? <laughs> yeah. We spent $800 on that video. Holy moly. Holy yep. moly. And saving. we did it in a day. We drove out. We drove out to Joshua Tree. We did 39 takes. The one in the video is the very last one. And um, drove back, got some lunch, did a color correct, added a few little effects and delivered it and waited uh, and then sat on it for like six months until her album released. Yeah. Wow. And what a debut by her as well. She, her album was fantastic. Her debut album. So, so deserving. Just, yeah. just uh, a true talent, you know? Yep. Absolutely. So uh, I got to thank you for, for making time to do this and, and to come on. Uh, I'm pumped and uh, I'm ready just to hop right in. So I will start with uh, this question. What is the biggest challenge you've overcome as a director and how did you overcome it? Um, you know, that's like an interesting question because, you know, as you said, what's your concentration, which is directing, but I write and produce almost all of my own projects. So the biggest difficulty is typically funding. You know, that is the thing that takes the longest. I've been very fortunate, um, but it's still you know, it's still a process. It's and patience is not a virtue that I possess all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. But also when you're wearing multiple hats on any project, like most of us do, um, you know, it can be challenging to be able to focus on one particular t task, especially working with your actors mm -hmm. without being pulled in another direction or, you know, even just overhearing something in your peripheral, which, pulls your attention because you are in fact involved in the producer element of it or, or whatever else it might be. So, you know, money and just staying focused when you, when you have to, when you have to multitask. Love it. And so knowing you've, you've kind of had this background in writing and producing your own things and, and you kind of understand the funding obstacle, what would you say is your biggest obstacle today? Um, it's still the same. It's still the same. I mean, even, you know, I, you know, I intentionally did my first feature at a certain budget that I knew was going to allow me to minimize risk with the highest possibility of return, uh, while maintaining all of my creative control. Mm -hmm. Um, now with the follow-up film, it's a much larger film, um, talking about drop city and that biggest challenge is again, even when you have, you've checked all the boxes, great script, great package, great crew, great cast attachments, you know, a track record of, of showing your work, still getting that. Yes. You know, getting that one person or one company or one, whatever to, uh, um, write you a check. Yeah. And this is something that Nick and I are seriously focused on and there are, I put a video out on social a few weeks ago that talked about all the different, you know, problems that Nick and I would like to try to creatively take on 
that the independent filmmaker and creative faces. And to me, one way to attack the, the money problem, although we do have a much, much bigger plan for that, is to attack the audience problem first. And mm-hmm. if you can effectively brand an audience uh, and gather audience for a film that is not released, then that will um, um, take a little bit of the edge off, a little bit of the risk off as an investor um, that wants to come in on your film, that wants to diversify their portfolio a little bit. And they're looking for the least risky place to put it in, in a film. Um, a film that already has an audience is great for, for that, but it's also great once the movie's in post because a buyer wants to take on a product uh, that already has a little bit of steam. So um, that's, that's what we do day to day. So that's what we've been working on. And um, it's, it's an interesting um way to sort of solve a problem indirectly, right? Well, it's the biggest thing that I found, uh, you know, with talking to some people who are in that that area is, you know, faith-based content. There is the, you know, the pre-sale element is, is huge, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and obviously the things that are huge money makers right now, um, you know, like horror content, it's that same thing. And, and being able to replicate that, I, I'm with you. I think you, you can, you know, there's no sure thing, but I think you can, you know, there's, there's certain elements that you can introduce to a project that, like you said, minimize the risk. Yeah. And I learned this lesson myself personally, back when I was in music and I was interning for Zamba and BMI and RGS artist and Fat Sam Music Publishing. And we had a band we were managing named Trucker, who was competing regionally against a band everyone knows, uh, Drive-By Trucker. And Mm -hmm. Drive-By Trucker had the regional following, and thus they got uh, the deal from Sony that we were coveting. And uh, the rest is history. And it taught me a lesson about really paying attention to audience and brand and and nurturing that. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and, And that helps you sort of walk into a better situation at any kind of uh, deal, any kind of business environment um, where you're looking for investment dollars, or maybe you're looking to sell your project. Um, Yes. uh, Taken from your wealth of experience though, uh, I am curious and, and, and we talked a little bit, but I can't talk, excuse me. Let me rewind that. We talked a little bit about your mom earlier. Um, What would you say are the best two pieces of advice you've received so far in your career and who did they come from? Oh man. Um, that's a hard one. I, you know, I, I thought about this a minute ago and there was a professor that I had when I was in film school and he was just this really gruff old school, like, you know, he had been a big TV producer in the seventies and he, he was just a, he was just dope. I I can't even remember (laughs) his name right now. And, you know, we were sitting in our first class and, you know, he was like, you know what we're going to learn. And, you know, I piped up because at 20, I was a jerk, you know, like that. And I'm like, we're going to learn how to make movies. He's like, no, (laughs) we're going to learn what not to do, you know? And that, that was like, 
that was one of the biggest pieces of advice is like, I'm not always learning what to do. I'm learning what not to do a lot of the time. And then the other piece of advice I had from this dear friend who was my first agent named Paul Santana, who was just so generous with his time and like guidance. And it wasn't as much, you know, and these things weren't advice as much as it was just, you know, thoughts to carry on. And he, he told me early on that no one was going to work or advocate for me as hard as I would for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took me a couple of years to really let that take hold, but it changed the dynamic of my approach as a filmmaker so that I, I didn't have expectations on what a, a working relationship might do for me. If I have an agent, cool. If I have a manager, cool. If I have this or that or whatever these, you know, quote unquote, like status things that we think we all need, it doesn't change my day to day. Right. You know, I still have to continue to do what I do regardless of who's, you know, on my you know, team, so to speak. Right. Right. And uh, I really relate to that quite a bit because um, inside baseball with me and Nick, we have a lot of sayings that are very, very similar to what you just said about advocating for yourself, because um, it is tough. It's, it's tough to go out there and get up and be creative every day or be an entrepreneur or, or, you know, just keep at it after so many obstacles. And you have to have that self-talk that helps you understand that, if you can't lead you, then no one else is going to be able to either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you could provide directors with one piece of advice right now, what would it be? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's like, I, you know, I hate to be a jerk, but I think the term director is, is just, egregiously overused you know Mm, because everybody yeah and producing you know it's like what what is it exactly that you're doing you know if you could tell me what it is you're doing then i'm happy to listen but what i have found for me is that you know i had a very interesting path to being a director where it was i had every opportunity and every resource and connection to you know, maybe fast track it. Mm -hmm. And that was not my experience. When I got out of school, I started PA. And then after PA, I got into the union working as a grip. And then I worked in music for a while. And then after that, I worked in casting and was fortunate enough to work with my mom. Um, Then I cast my own commercials. And then I cast my own film. And then I produced a film. And after 10 years of experience, you know, I had connections and resources where I was able to um, materialize some directing opportunities. And I slowly put together my reel and built and built and built. And that, that gave me the tools to be able to deal with any situation that would arise. Now, I say that, um, you know, I, that's not like a broad statement. You know, there, there's limits on my knowledge. I do not mean to know that I know everything. But in the in the budget range that I'm working with, there's multiple areas of the filmmaking process that I can speak into that 
greatly impacted in a positive way, whether it's budget, whether it's the needs that we might have for the grip and electric department. I'm not a tech guy. I just, that's not my jam at all, you know, but when it comes to working with actors and being able to speak into numbers and locations and, and all these different aspects, it's been the most useful tool for me. Um, and it keeps me from getting bored. Like, to be honest, like who wants to like, just being able to direct is like half the time you're sitting around with your thumb up your ass waiting. <laughs> so in that case is the advice do be a multi hyphenate. Yeah. Just know what you, it's not even that it's just know what you're doing. Gotcha. You know, if you don't, if I don't know what you do, then how could I ever respect what it is you're doing? You know? And you know, I, that, that experience and insight for me, it, it gives me the ability to keep everybody on the same playing field. Like everybody's doing a vital job. And I know that because I've done it and I've done it for like, you know, crumbs. And it just gives me an appreciation for what it is that I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I, I, I get what you're saying now, uh, for sure. It's, it's about having that specificity around your purpose and the value that you bring. And if you can't do that, then you should probably look in the mirror on, on what you're doing. Uh, it's just, you're, you know, you're playing quarterback, you know, Yep. you got to know what everybody else on the field's doing too. Right. As a, as a filmmaker, you're, you know, I don't know if you like Tom Brady, but you're Tom Brady and uh, you have to direct um, the, the people in your team and know what they're doing. And I, I think that's great. I think that's a very um, that's functional advice. You know, <laughs> that's 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 not uh, in the in the woo woo realm that sometimes we get with advice. That's that's on the set. Know what your people do. And uh, I love it. So so staying on that line, though, Saban, what are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making create did you say creative and business mistakes correct yep um the creative mistakes i mean this is just a personal opinion but and, and maybe it's a three-part answer the biggest mistake i see newcomers make is that they they want to jump in at the top which i have no i, I think that that's amazing you know, but just because you have the opportunity doesn't mean you're ready for the opportunity and not everybody can survive a, you know, a, a terrible first outing, yeah, <laughs> you know, so true. Yeah. um, and you know, when it comes to creative mistakes, I think, I think the creative mistakes that a lot of people make are not investing their time, energy, resources in a piece of material that even has the ability to take you to where you're wanting to go. Oh, that's great. Um, that's, that's great. Will you expound upon that one a little bit? Cause that's important. Yeah. I mean, I just think people like, you know, they'll hitch their wagon to anything if they think it's going to, you know, be something, but you know, I, I mean, what do you, you know, this is about a career's worth of work, you know, not just one thing that's going to like catapult you to superstardom. You know, if that happens, that's great. But if not, you know, at least for me, like I want to have a resume and I want to have track records of films that meant something and, 
were a body of work that I could be proud of. And I myself have fallen prey to, you know, getting lulled into thinking that something was better than it was because I was either overexcited or, you know, you know, desperate or whatever you want the word, whatever word you want to use, you know, it's like, I just, I got too excited and didn't take the time to thoroughly review it. Um, and, and make a sound decision. And typically that was based on not wanting to miss out, but it's like, if you miss out on something that sucks, you're not missing out on anything. Yeah. Um, and nine times out of 10, most of what you're going to read is, is not that good. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really true. I, I think when we first started doing uh, coverage in the traditional way, and it's kind of where, yeah. we, where Nick and I started, we don't do that type of coverage anymore. We do more uh, film brand coverage, which is something we created, but um, we would get scripts and in the 90th percentile, uh, scripts would have more than 10 errors by the first 10 pages. Uh, so oh, for it, sure. It was really hard finding, you know, really great, great work. Um, which is surprising because there's so much technology out there to help you not make those mistakes. Um, so, so I, I don't know yeah, what happened in I the forties, but, um, I, I don't know, man. I just think like, I don't know if it's like a generational thing, but like there is just, there, there is like a level of like Eric, against in like in certain people who think that they can just you know like i i just look i started writing merely out of necessity you know and i i worked at it and i got better at it you know i still don't consider myself an elite writer but i have so much respect for writers that it took me years to even get the nerve to sit down and write my own scripts you know yeah um And then in the business thing, it, it, you know, that's the same thing. It's like, that's a creative thing, but it's also a business thing. If you put all your eggs in one basket, you know, then you, you know, you're blind to what the reality is. It's like, I've seen, I've seen people make their first movie and leverage every relationship, every resource, every connection. And the thing fell flat on its face. And it was a dud and they haven't made anything since. Man, man, man. Just hearing that is it's I've seen that. And um, it's it's actually heartbreaking uh, for me. It is. Yeah, it is. And but again, that goes back to what I said earlier is, you know, I worked on a film where that happened. Yeah. And it gave me the ability to, you know, and I fell victim of that, too, with Boomtown is I you know, I had very lofty expectations and they did not happen in the time period or in the way that I wanted it to. And I got really disappointed. Ultimately, you know, in, in, not in my time, but in the right time, I got the best deal possible for that film, you know, and the movie has made more than its money back. And, it's getting seen by a larger audience than I would have ever anticipated. Mm. Um, And that's really all it's about. It's like, are you doing a movie that you can make your money back on plus some and get seen by the most people possible? 
Yeah. So you can do your next project. And, and that's what, that's really what it's about. Like, I like what you said earlier about, it's about a career's worth of work. Um, uh, speaking of that, uh, maybe put your teaching hat on for a moment. You know, if you had one month to teach someone how to be a filmmaker, a director, what would be the first three things you would teach them? The first, oh my God. Um, that's a terrible question, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the first three things I would teach them. Um, man, I, um, Oh man, I, you know, I, I don't even know what you would teach somebody about directing, you know, for me, directing is about the ability to communicate with actors who, who have the ability to perform the way that you need them to perform. So to me, the only way to learn that is through the casting process, which I think most people really undervalue. I say that as the son of a casting director who knows how vital that position is um, from some very elite casting directors and, and that I believe they personally are more influential on the film than ev- anyone would ever want to admit. So I would teach them, you know, about how important the casting process is because that allows you to get to know the truth about an actor. Um, I would teach them, you know, I would teach them about uh, lighting, you know, because that was my background and it gives me an opportunity to know how long things are going to take and anticipate um, and communicate with my crew ahead of time of what we're looking for so that we don't waste time and, and waste unnecessary time. You know, some guys like I've worked with DPs before who were just like, it was like watching paint dry. You know, they just couldn't figure, couldn't figure it out. And then you'd finally get set and you'd be like, dude, there's two lights in here. Like, what have you been doing? Um, and then the third thing, the third thing would just be, you know, I think, you know, I just, I would say just the, the back end business side of it. Um, you know, I, I learned on a previous film. Um, and that knowledge gave me the ability to make really good deals for myself, you know, not, not for the, not for the movie as a whole, you know, but for me and all the people who were financially vested in the film, right. right. Um, because I just wasn't, I just wasn't going to give it away. You know, I knew what the worth was and I knew what I had put in and I knew that, you know, I, I, I just had the information and I wasn't going to be led astray because of uh, being too excited or eager or unaware. Yeah, that's fantastic. So in summary, you would first teach them the casting process. Uh, second, you would teach them uh, lighting. And mm-hmm. third, you teach them the back end business so they could uh, walk away a happy camper. Yeah, because I think those are the only things that you could actually, you know, if you had to quote unquote teach, <laughs> right, those are the, the month, things yeah. that I could, those are the only things that I could like try to wrap my head around mm-hmm. other than, you know, other stuff. I think you just, you know, I think the best teacher is hands-on experience. Yeah. You know, no, nothing like it, but just to dive in and, and give it a shot and watch yourself sort of get better um, in an iterative way, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. I'm curious about this, Saban. What creatives do you most admire and most want to emulate? And what do they do from a creative or technical standpoint or skill standpoint that makes them stand apart? Um, I, you know, that's a hard question for me because I certainly don't try to emulate anybody. Um, and I am not, I, I'm a self-admitted, you know, I, I'm very limited technically, you know, I am not a tech guy. I am not a tech nerd, whatever you want to call it. I, you know, I cannot speak camera speak or, or editing speak, or when it comes to pressing keys, anything beyond typing and like the most rudimentary, like graphic stuff, I'm, I'm out, you know, <laughs> right. but for me, it's about people who are true storytellers who are telling stories about things that things that that make an impact and that matter. You know, real stories, real people, real places, real time. That's my whole that's my whole MO, you know, and it took me until I was like 35 to figure out that that's what my thing was, you know. So who um, is uh, your favorite storyteller? My favorite storyteller of all time is Shel Silverstein. Hmm. Um, and then I would say after that, Sam Shepard. Mm-hmm. And then, um, after that, I would say, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't have, you know, I don't have real like, you know, movie filmmaker people that I, I look up to. I, you know, it would be a, a, a total cheat, but you know, obviously, um, my mom has worked a lot with David Fincher and that has given me the opportunity to, you know, be in relatively close proximity to him at times. Um, Mm -hmm. and I have just so much respect, not only for what he does as a filmmaker, but who he is as a man, what he's done for my mom, which has impacted me. And, um, you know, so I, you know, to me, that's, you know, that, that's someone that I, would, would put on a pedestal, you know, um, if, if I had to, and, and, you know, that's more personal than it is professional, but it's all tied together. It's like, you know, I'm just lucky that I can say, Hey, I got to see that dude work. And Hey, he also happens to be one of the best who ever did it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for for sure. We, we asked this question and it's, it's so interesting. The, the range of responses we get and, um, Never had a response quite like yours, so, so kudos on that. But also, we have had people who just love Fincher. So, uh, not not a bad person to to sort of uh, be um, evolving around. Um, yeah, this has been a blast, uh, and and uh, I, I've just enjoyed talking to you. I cannot believe it, but uh, we are at the end of uh, our interview session. I, like I. I have one question left, so um, I guess I'll just shoot it to you. In in your opinion, what are the uh, top three uh, online resources for uh, filmmakers? The top three online resources. Oh my gosh, I'm like I'm terrible about researching things online. Obviously, I use IMDb for everything. I use it to. Are you make on Pro? Act- I am. Yes. Okay. Um, I use it to make lists with actors, research actors. I also use it to research people that I might be doing business with. I like to know who I'm dealing with before I deal with them. Um, 
I just think that's part of, you know, a professional process. Um, other than that, I, you know, shoot, I don't know. I mean, that's pretty much my everything. Like I check the trades every once in a while, like on Twitter, just to see what's, what's going on. And then, um, you know, this is kind of a wild card thing, but sometimes I use box office mojo. Hmm. Um, because in a lot of pitch packets that I work on, um, I do a thing called a comparable film doc. Right. And when I'm presenting my film, I like to provide a list of films, you know, uh, about four films that are of comparative size, um, genre and, um, yeah, I guess size genre and story. I don't know, whatever. I, I can't think of the right term right now. And then I use that resource to figure out when they were released, what was the genre, um, you know, what was their opening weekend? What was their total U S gross, their total international gross, um, who acquired it for how much, you know, and possibly how many theaters it, it played in. Um, and you can find most, most of that information there. Yeah. I, I always go there, um, to, to sort of compare a big studio versus indie. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of fun things you could <laughs> research wise yeah. on box office mojo. Um, that's awesome, man. So, so yeah, like I said before, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I enjoyed course, it. Thank I think, you. I think, no, anytime. And I think new creatives and creatives that have been doing this for a while are going to benefit a lot from your feedback. Um, tell everybody where they can find you on social media, on the internet, or where they can see your work. Uh, you could see Boomtown anywhere, any digital platform. Uh, we have an exclusive streaming deal with Hulu, so you can check it for free there if you're a member. Um, you can go to my company website, which is stayfly.biz. Uh, you can check me out on Facebook, you know, under my name, say the Mayfield, same with Instagram and Twitter. I'm, I kind of ebb and flow with it. Sometimes I post a lot about what I'm doing. Um, sometimes I take a break, but if you follow me on social media, you're going to see two things, work related stuff or pictures of my son. So just know that going into it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think I'm going to follow you on Twitter right now. I don't think I do. Um, so expect a new follow tonight. And All right. um, I love, I love that you're, that your movie's on Hulu. I do have to ask you uh, really quickly, what is the story behind your company name? Stay fly. Oh my gosh. I, first of all, I can't tell you the real story on air. Um, <laughs> Those are my favorite I, kind of stories, <laughs> but I will tell you in private, uh, when I see you out here. Um, but all kidding aside, I, I just, um, you know, I don't know. just, you know, like I'm an eighties, like hip hop kid, you know, like the whole, the whole, like, you know, three, six stay fly kind of thing going mm -hmm. on. And, and, uh, you know, really what I had is like, I had a vision for the logo that just accompanied the name. Um, so it, this kind of, you know, it hit me, it actually hit me like at the five spot in oh, Nashville. Wow. Yeah. And I was there with Brandon, but there's more to the story to be told later. Yeah. I used to go to the boom bap all the time. Was, That's uh, where we were. That's where oh, we were. It was Monday really? night. Yeah. Really? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And the fact that you mentioned Three Six Mafia and you probably know Player Fly and um just all those all the all the Memphis for for those listening, 
Uh, we're talking about Memphis rap now and we're getting super meta, but, <laughs> but there was a, an early nineties movement where uh, if you rapped and you were from Memphis, you were probably going to pop. So, um, yep. Yeah. yeah, go back and go go back and dig in the crates, people. Go uh, get on your Apple Music. <laughs> go get on your Spotify, and just search Memphis, and then start listening hypnotize, to hypnotize crunchy, minds. Yeah, just start listening to Crunchy Black and Eight Ball and MJG. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's oh, there I go with the nostalgia again. <laughs> there you go. Saving, this has been a blast, man. I can't wait to uh, get with you in person and um, uh, take care. Uh, again, uh, this is um, something that uh, it's a passion project for Nick and I. We're just so grateful for creatives like you that take your time to do this. And um, uh, I hope uh, everything goes well with you. Uh, it's Drop City, right? That is it. That is it. Drop City. All right. Good luck with Drop City. Not that you need it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. All right, brother. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects, social media, and transcripts of this interview, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.